0: Welcome to the Gathering Church podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about the gathering, you can check out the Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. We are now 7 days away from Christmas morning think about that. Yeah, that's exciting. That's an exciting thing. Last night about 10 o'clock was like, wow, this is Christmas Eve in a week. That is wild to think about. And uh, just think for a moment, you know, what will you be doing next week at 1029 in the morning? Uh, Maybe you'll be running around the house preparing some kind of breakfast for the family. Uh, My mom always had this tradition where she would make cinnamon rolls on Christmas morning. She would do it no other day of the year except for Christmas morning. And and she would sit there and contemplate is this batch really better than last year's? I think last year's was a little bit better than this. This has a little bit more uh, syrup on it, it's a little bit sweeter. And me and my brothers, none of us cared about that at all. We're just like, you know, just eating it, stuffing our faces. We don't care about the texture or the quality, not giving a chef's review on the subject. Um, maybe a a week from now, you're going to be, um, putting together a 10,000 piece Lego set with your, with your family, with your kids, you know, um, and trying to keep your Christmas cheer as you do that. Um, maybe at this point you're still sleeping in any teenagers in the room that say, I'm not even going to get up till it's like 11 or noon. And then I'll open up my presents. I saw a parent raise their hand over there. Uh, maybe, maybe you'll be doing, um, maybe you'll just be. Uh, reading the Luke 2. Maybe you'll be spiritual at this time and be reading Luke 2 with your family or maybe watching an excellent Christmas program that your church put together at this time. Who knows what you'll be doing right now? <laughs> Shameless plug. Uh, but whatever it is you're doing, I hope you can take a moment, if it, if, even if it's just a moment, a- and think about how this day came to pass. Today, I, I don't want to just talk about the day, the, the arrival of Jesus. I want to see what was the plan For Jesus to come to Earth, why was there a plan? Why did He have to come to Earth? And we can find that answer in the prologue. Somebody say prologue, prologue. Uh, You probably only see that word prologue when you flip open the beginning of a book but then you pass over it because you're like, well, if it's not chapter one, I'm going to do as little reading as possible while I try to read through the book. Am I talking to anybody? Like, yeah, I want I want the credit for reading a book, but I don't want to read every single word that I have to. Um, but you can miss some very important information in the prologue or the epilogue. It helps give context to the story. And we know the story of Jesus' birth can be found in Matthew 1, And in Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at those on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. But the prologue is actually found in the beginning of John's Gospel. And it's considered one of the most significant theological passages of Scripture. Because everything that we watch Jesus say and do throughout his time on earth can be linked back to these verses. They give us the context and the reasoning. It's the plan that God had for humanity. And the message this morning is called The Plan in the Prologue. The Plan in the Prologue. If you have your Bible with you, and I hope you do, you can turn with me to John chapter 1. We'll be looking at the first 18 verses today. And we're going to take this passage little by little so we can understand the plan and the purpose of Jesus coming to earth. Let's read the first three verses. John 1, starting in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It's fascinating to read this passage, and then if you were to read the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, you see some similarities, right? Both start with in the beginning. And we know from Genesis, that's God creating the earth. But here in John, it is him recreating mankind's destiny. It is revealing Jesus Christ to the earth. It says, in the beginning was the word. That letter W, that's capitalized. That is a person, not just a thing. That's Jesus saying Jesus was there in the beginning. And it doesn't say that he was created in the beginning. It states that he existed in the beginning and that he was God and he was with God. So that tells us that Jesus was distinctly different from God the Father, but yet he was equal to him. And not only that, but he is also equally creating the world with God the Father. I don't know why I always assumed when I thought about this in my head growing up that I knew Jesus was there in the beginning, but I kind of thought that he was just observing as God the Father was doing the one creating. But it says here, no, through Jesus, all things were made. Everything was made through him, and without Jesus, nothing would be in existence. He created all, And then look at what John says next, verses 4 and 5. He says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So in Jesus was life, and that life translated to be the light for all people. His life became our light And our first point today, and the plan of why Jesus came to earth, number one, he came to bring light to all. Light to all. He was the true light that was coming into the world. Now, there were those that were coming before him. They had been flickers of the truth, right? But Jesus was the true illumination. Jesus was the light, and he had always, light is always a metaphor for understanding. Light typically means knowledge. You know, there are things back before our times, there was the age of enlightenment in Europe. There have been religions that are attached to that word enlightenment, but, but those have been human efforts to attempt what actually God, only God, can reveal to us. Because when you receive Jesus and experience Him, you begin to understand things on a level that you had not known before. Amen. It's why we have a light bulb as a reminder. It's a metaphor when someone has an idea, right? There's a light bulb that goes out on above their head. Light has invaded our mind, and where we once struggled with understanding, where we once were kind of wandering in the darkness aimlessly, we now have light, You've heard the phrase, someone had to shed light on the subject. There's nothing worse than being stuck in the dark, trying to find your way around somewhere that you're not familiar with. This year for Christmas, Shanna and I decided to give ourselves a joint gift. We decided to upgrade to a king-size bed for the first time in eight years of marriage. That's right, we're excited too. We survived eight years of marriage on a queen-size bed. And decided it's time to upgrade. And it's funny because the queen-size bed, you don't, not only do you have to buy a queen-size bed, you have to buy a king-size frame, right? You have to buy a new frame to go with the bed. And I had become familiar with the frame. It had this wooden part that would shoot up to about, you know, three or four feet. And, and if I was in the dark and trying to figure out where I was, I knew I could grab onto that and I knew where to go from there. I'm not a believer in darkness in my life in anything except for when I'm trying to sleep, okay? Then I want it completely dark. I want the the blinds all the way closed. I want to dim the lights. I hate trying to sleep in hotel rooms where it just feels like there's light invading from every way way that I look, right? You know what I'm talking about? I need to go with a blindfold. I don't know if anybody else does that, um, but maybe that's going to come into my future here soon. Anyways, I don't believe in darkness in any other area in my life except for when I'm trying to sleep. And so with this new frame, all of a sudden I'm in darkness and I don't know where I'm going if I have to get up out of bed in the morning without trying to disturb Shanna. And so instead I used to be able to grab on this and move past it to get to the bathroom or get to the, to the kitchen or whatever. But now I'm like shuffling my feet trying to know where I'm going so I don't run into something. And I need my phone to be a flashlight and light up the room for me, light up my feet to see where I'm going. Jesus is the true light that when you accept him into your life and you acknowledge him as Lord, he will shine on the darkness and help you to see where you're going to avoid stumbling and struggling. Amen. And notice it says in verse 5 it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We also sang that with a song before, right? This is not a light that, that it flickers or it's dim. It does not hold back from streaming light into your life. If you stay focused on Him, He will direct where you should where you should go, and where you should stay away from. And as I was thinking about this, this just came to me: the light of Jesus, it doesn't only shine where you want it to; it'll shine in all areas of your life. Does that hurt really good? It's like, oh no, Jesus, you don't need to shine a light over there. I, I'm good there. I don't need help there. Oh, why are you showing me this? Why are you pointing this out to me? The light of Jesus shines in every area of your life, whether you ask him to or not. And his light will guide you. It'll help show you, yes, that's a good job to go to. No, stay away from that job. That's not a good place for you. Yes, that's a good school for your kids. Ah, you know what? That's a, that's a bad area for your kids to be at. Yes, that's a good relationship for you. Or no, that's probably not a great idea. If you allow the light of Jesus to guide you, he will direct your path. And it says that the world cannot overcome Jesus. It says the darkness has not overcome. We know that Jesus is greater than the world. let skip down to verse 9 with me. It says the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Not only is Jesus the light, but he gives the light to everyone so that you and I can also have that light that overcomes the darkness. Remember, it said that Jesus' life was the light for all people. When we receive him, we reflect his light in this world. If you remember back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was saying in in Matthew 5, he talks about the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and then he he says, you're the salt of the earth, and then read what he says next in verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now back in John 1, it says that Jesus is the light. And if you look later on in the book of John, Jesus declares he's the light of the world, but here... In Matthew 5, he extends that privilege to us that we are meant to be the light of the world. We're not only to, to receive the light of Jesus, we are to reflect the light of Jesus. We're, we're to be like a city on a hill. Think about a great city that there are lights coming from that city, right? It can't be hidden. When you're on a hill and you're a city, everyone around is able to see those lights. It's hard to miss. He then compares it to a house. In Jewish homes back then, they had these small lamps. And there was a stand in the house that when they put the lamp on that stand, it was a way to maximize the amount of light throughout the entire house. He's saying that is how we should live our life, to maximize the amount of light that people can see through your life. And I gotta be honest, when when I read this and understood the context of it, it was personally convicting for me. Because I wanna just live my life and I'll have a relationship with Jesus and that's good, but I I struggle to bother other people with trying to be a light to others. You know, there's such a thing as a good witness for others, there's such a thing as a bad witness for others. But if you live your life with a level of love and joy, there's a good chance that someone maybe might just notice it. It says, let your light shine so that they will see your good works and glorify who? Not, not me, right? To glorify God in heaven. We receive the light and then we reflect the light. Anybody with me this morning? Is everybody good? Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to John 1. Let's read verses 10 through 12. Talking about Jesus, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Notice the emphasis in verse 10 on the word world. He was in the world, he made the world, but the world didn't know him. The world owed its existence to the word, but the world didn't know him. It's interesting that John uses this phrase, he says to know, to know. Sometimes in the Bible, that, that, that word to know is actually meaning intimacy. If you look at the story of Joseph and Mary, it says in Matthew that Joseph did not know his wife, Mary, until after Jesus' birth. I wonder in this context, if John is meaning that the world did not know, did not have an intimate, close, personal relationship with the Word. Think about it today. Most people have heard the name of Jesus. Many have used the name Jesus in, in an inappropriate way because they know the name Jesus, but they're missing a relationship, a personal closeness, and intimacy with Jesus. Jesus reveals himself to all, but all have to receive him. We sing that classic Christmas carol, Joy to the World. It's one of my favorites. And in that song, it says, let earth receive her King." This is not a given. It's not like, oh yeah, we'll just receive him. It needs to happen through prayer by the saints of this earth that our world would choose to receive its king. Church, we have to pray for the earth to receive its king. We need to pray for revival, for the world to wake up and realize that we are very much in need of Jesus to be the king of our world. Because what happens when we do receive him, when we choose to receive Jesus, look at the end of verse 12. To those who receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Our second point in God's plan for humanity is he came to adopt us into family. When we receive Jesus, he gives us the right to become his child. It's a right. It's not automatic. And it says to become a child of God, not to be a child of God. So there's a process here. To become something, that means there's a change in status. When we accept Jesus, we don't immediately become a mature disciple, right? No, we're a baby Christian. We need to grow in our relationship with the Lord. We need to be praying and reading the Bible, growing. But we are given in that moment when we receive, we are given the right. And notice it says, to all who did receive him. And then it says, before we gain the right, he actually gives further specification on what receiving means. He says, to those who believe in his name. Believe in his name. Believing in the name had strong connotations back then because your name was the same as your reputation and character. To believe in the name, it meant that you trusted in that person. Your your name was your brand. Think about different brands. When you hear the name of a brand, how does it make you feel? I know a lot of that will depend on your experience with that brand, but if you hear the name Southwest Airlines, Hopefully, that evokes feelings of, yes, good customer service. I had a good experience. I know with any, any brand, you can have a bad experience, okay? Don't come to me after service and say, you, don't, you wouldn't believe what happened to us with Southwest Airlines. I get it. I understand. But the majority of the time, they have a good reputation for treating people well. Now, what happens if I say the brand Spirit Airlines? Is this too soon for Scott? Where is he at? I just want to make sure he's not going to... You know, maybe you had a good experience with them, and hey, they're they're cheap, right? So maybe you enjoyed that, but you also may have had bad opportunities with them, bad experiences with them. When you think about these brands, what does it bring to mind in you? Think about something like Nike. Maybe you think about quality brand. Maybe you think about fashion. You think about athlete sponsorship. What happens when you think about uh, the Ritz-Carlton? I've never been to one. But, but everything that we've heard, they are known for a brand that cares about their customers, takes care of their customers to, to the highest level, above and beyond. You get the point? All, all these brands, the names, you may think in electronics that uh, Sony is a great brand for a TV, You might think that um, if you're buying a phone or um, a tablet, you might go with Apple. Or maybe you're staunchly against them for some reason. Whatever it is, everyone's got an opinion, right? But the brand brings something to mind for you. Because you see, the name that you believe in will push you to rely on them. The people that, that work for that brand. And John is saying in verse 12 that whoever believes in the name... Whoever believes in the brand of Christ will have access to the family of God. Because when you hear the name of Jesus, the world might think of it as something as nothing more than a curse word, but when you believe in the name, not just hear the name, when you believe in the name, you know it means a savior to you. You know, He means love and goodness and mercy and peace. Right? We're a people that we believe that just, just the mention of the name of Jesus. Miracles take place. Demons have to leave. Chains are broken off when we believe. Just the mention of the name of Jesus. The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. In heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's what we believe, right? I know that if I'm in a moment, I don't know what to say. I have no peace. I can just say the name of Jesus, and it will bring peace to my heart. Jesus came to earth so that we would have the right to believe in his name and to become a child of God. And read what it says next in verse 14. I love this part. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We go back to the name, the word here in verse 14 says the word became flesh and he dwelt among us full of grace and truth. Think about this is the most amazing event in the history of the world that the all powerful son of God would take on human nature and become flesh And just so you know, when John uses the word flesh here, he's not using it like Paul would use it in in his epistles, okay? Paul would say flesh when he was writing letters, and flesh meant evil and, and sinfulness. You know, Paul would say, you know, living in the flesh, setting my mind on the flesh is death. He would say these things, but when John is talking about flesh here, he's not talking about sinfulness, he's talking about weakness, because Jesus was always still God, but he also became fully man. And it says he dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. It, it basically is translated as God setting up camp. It was a comparison to how God in the Old Testament would dwell in the tabernacle with the Israelites. Now, God was, he was residing now in the New Testament... In the form of Jesus, to dwell among us. He's saying, the glory of God, the presence of God had now come in the form of Jesus, who was full of grace and truth. Lastly, today, the, the plan of what Jesus came to bring in His birth, it was, number one, the light. He came so that we'd be adopted into the family, and number three, He came to bring grace and truth grace and truth. The grace of God came to all through Jesus. And grace is not just something you know, that we say before we eat a big meal. Does anybody still do that? And else growing up, who's going to say grace before we eat? Who's going to say grace? It's not just meant for before we eat the food. Grace and mercy, we need both of these things. Mercy is not being punished for what you commit. How does it go? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So mercy is not being punished for our sin that we commit, and grace is the gift that we receive even though we don't deserve it, and we've done nothing to earn it. We've been saved by grace. We've been saved by Jesus who brought grace to all with his birth. Jesus, the word, becoming flesh. That that right there was the embodiment of grace. And John continues to talk about grace. Read verses 16 and 17. It says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. They came through Jesus. And it's interesting because here John talks about the law. And the law came from Moses. And then he talks about the revelation of Jesus. And these two are not placed up against each other to say the law was bad and Jesus is good. Instead it's showing how the law led to being fulfilled by Jesus. We know this because it says grace upon Jesus grace. From the fullness of God, we have received grace upon grace. I don't want you to miss this, okay? Grace upon grace. It means the grace that came from Jesus was stacked on top of the grace that had come from the law. It doesn't say grace upon the law. The law was not bad, it was simply incomplete, and Jesus was the completion. Both the law and the coming of Jesus were both necessary for our salvation. Because the law graciously clarified the requirements we needed to live righteously before God. And then the life of Jesus was able to stand on top of that law and complete the work of God for his people. Because Jesus was superior to Abraham, superior to Jacob and to Moses. They had simply prepared the way for the grace that Jesus would bring. And that word, that same word grace in the Greek, it can also be translated to a few different meanings, but one of the other key meanings that it has is favor. It means that we have grace, we find favor with God through Jesus. It's that same Greek word that Luke uses when he says that Mary found favor with God. God gave Mary grace. It says in Luke 2 that Jesus grew up with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. The grace of God was upon him. Jesus came to the earth for you to receive a grace that was stacked up on top of the first grace that was brought in by the law, so that you could find favor with God. And that word grace, it's found three times right there in two verses. You can see grace, 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 but then you don't ever see it again in the whole gospel of John. However, the word grace is used throughout the rest of the New Testament to explain why Jesus came to earth. Paul uses the word grace over and over in his letters to the church. Let me show you a passage in Romans as we close. Worship team, you can come up as we close. Here in Romans 5 and 6, Paul is continuing to discuss this law and grace that we see John talk about in his first chapter. Look at Romans 5.20. It says, Now the law came to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at that. The the law came to increase trespasses. How does that make sense? The law came to increase sin. How, How can that mean that the law is a good thing? if it's bringing in more sin. Because what the law did was it revealed sin. The sin was already there. We just didn't know it was sin. The law came to show us what was wrong. So there was an increase in sin because we saw what it was when there was law. We wouldn't be failing in ignorance anymore. But then check this out. Paul says, but where sin increased... Because of the knowledge, grace abounded more. See, the law revealed sin, but grace came to defeat sin. And to say that no matter where sin has entered in your life, grace through Jesus can cover over and beyond your sin. The law couldn't defeat sin, but the grace that came through Jesus could defeat sin. Is anyone thankful that Jesus came in his power, in his mercy, and his grace to cover over our sin? He came as the grace and the truth. Is anybody with me this morning? Am I preaching too much for it to be Christmas time? This is why Jesus came to earth. Before we look at the shepherds and the wise men and the glory of the nativity scene, that is all precious, and we need to look at that, but we have to see the plan for humanity that God had from the beginning. Through his plan, we're adopted into his family. We have the right to call him. We can receive his name. The law came before, and it was actually grace because it allowed us to see where we were doing the right things, where we were doing the raw things, wrong things. But the grace of Jesus came and was stacked on top of that. As we close this morning, why don't you stand to your feet as we close. As we close this morning, if you're here and you've never accepted the grace of Jesus you've never accepted the gift of salvation and become a child of His. I do not want to pass through this moment before giving you an opportunity. Last week, we had one person raise their hand to receive God for, to my knowledge, the very first time. Praise God. Amen. And in this Christmas time, I don't want to leave this moment without giving another person an opportunity to receive the name of Jesus to receive the grace and the truth that he gives us. If you're here, normally I ask people to bow their heads. I'm not going to do that this time. I'm just going to ask you, if you're here and you've never accepted the gift of grace and truth, would you be bold enough to just slip up your hand? We want to pray with you. We want to celebrate you. I'm not looking to embarrass you in any way. But you're here and you've never prayed that prayer. You've never accepted Jesus into your heart. This is your moment. I ask you to slip up your hand if that's you, if you're here today. God is calling you home to be part of his family. Is that you? Slip up your hand. I want to make sure I don't miss anybody. Okay. All right, then I'm going to all assume that we are all part of the family of God. I'm going to move on to what I believe God has called us to focus on here to end and as we close this service. Typically, when we end a service, I I ask you to slip up your hand if you need prayer for something. You know, you need prayer for more grace in your life. You need prayer for the light of God. And I'm happy to pray any of those things. But what I felt this morning as I was reading through John chapter 1, as I've been preparing this message, I felt like we were to, as a church, take a moment to pray for earth to receive its King. For us as a church to join together and pray for our nation, pray for our city, pray for our world to truly turn to God this Christmas time and receive its King. And the team is going to lead us in a song called Jesus as King. If you didn't know, we, we wrote this song a couple years ago. And we chose a couple months ago to rewrite it with some Christmas lyrics in the verses. And so I'm asking you as they lead this song, would you pray and intercede for our earth to receive its king? Maybe there are employees at your work, there's neighbors around your neighborhood that need to receive the gift, the grace of Jesus. Can we as a church stand in the doorway? Can we stand in in their path and pray for them to get closer to God this season? Let's worship and let's pray together as we close. Thank you for listening to today's message. The Gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.